What I want to do this morning um, is just talk about really just our church. I'm just just praising the Lord for where He's brought us over these these last couple years. Um, just kind of for those of us who've been here for at least since I've been here, just kind of refresh our hearts and minds about who we are as a church, what we want to be, um, and those of us who have come along after since we started t- two years ago, a little more than that back in October, just to kind of say, hey, this is who we are, and I really, you know, my heart's desire is for us to kind of rally around who we are as a church um, and just commit to that and say, yes, Lord, we're excited to be here, and, and we're excited to be this church, and this is our DNA, and um, just to kind of talk about where, you know, we want to see the Lord lead us. And so that's just kind of my hope and just kind of really just some of my heart as a pastor, who I am, and just what I, I really just want to see among us happen as well. So that's just kind of my aim for this morning. Um, I do want to read Matthew 28, um, 18 through 20. I think I've preached this, a sermon on it last year, um, but it's it's probably a, a verse I will preach a sermon on many, many times um, because for me, it's integral to what the church is. It's integral to your relationship with Jesus. Um, and so right before Jesus ascends in Matthew 28, 18, It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Um, Before this weekend, I did not know how to replace the cartilage inside of a faucet for a sink that's dripping. I now know. Uh, I had been putting it off for a year and a half, maybe the whole time Jessica and I have lived in the house we've lived in, because I don't know how to do it, and I just didn't want to fool with it. And that's true for a lot of things in life. Uh, But my dad was up this past weekend, and we got under the sink, and we took things apart, And he said things to me, but he showed me this is how you do it. So I feel pretty confident now, not because I was just told, but I was shown this is how you do this thing. Right? So discipleship um, is not, strictly speaking, a biblical category. You can disciple someone to do a lot of things in life. You can teach people with your words and with your life how to do a number of things. I think the wonderful thing about the word disciple is it finds its greatest climax in the Christian faith. Because what is the greatest thing you could be discipled towards? And more than that, what is the greatest thing you can make a disciple of? And that is Jesus. That's discipleship. You know, you, you, you've maybe heard the difference between a fan and a follower. A fan can sit back and really appreciate something that they'll never be able to do, whether that's perhaps an instrument played or a sport played, and wow, it's amazing, but you know you're never going to do it. But a follower is very much so expected to come behind and follow in the way of and do the very thing. And that's the, maze, the most amazing thing about um, Jesus, is though He is the God-man, he invites us to follow Him and to do what He did. I believe that that is our calling as a church is to follow Jesus together. Just to look at the Great Commission with you again, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and all that's been given to me. Kind of like a warrant. You know when someone says, oh, there's a warrant out for your arrest? What does that policeman have? He's got the authority of the government to go arrest somebody. He's got a warrant. In the same way, you could translate that as a warrant. Jesus says, I've got all authority, and now I am able to warrant that you go out and you arrest souls for the sake of the gospel. You are my disciples, and I'm putting my authority, I'm putting my power, I'm putting the power of the kingdom of heaven, not just on you, but in you. I'm putting the Holy Spirit inside you, and you're going to go, and you're going to make disciples. You're going to make these learners, these students, 
Uh, you, you're going to be in a very real way uh, uh, those over others who can, what's Paul say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And you're going to make it of everybody. If someone has a heartbeat in their chest, that person should be made a follower of Christ. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bring them in. And then how are they kept as a disciple? The same way they're made one. You teach them the gospel. You teach it to them. But again, Jesus is teaching, if we look at his whole life, it's not just you sit there in a chair and let me say some things to you. It is that. There's a lot of value. And Jesus did that a lot, didn't he? He got up in front of crowds and he would teach and he would teach and he would teach and he would teach. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? We walked through that. It was him teaching and teaching and teaching. But how often does Jesus show with his life, this is how you love poor people. And this is how you spend your time. And this is how you live sacrificially. This is how you wash someone's feet. Jesus showed his disciples the kingdom of heaven, not with his words, but with his life. So you see, Jesus says, teach them to what? Observe. Not like look at it. Observe, like keep the whole way of it. And what a wonderful thing. He says, I'm with you. The Spirit's with you to do this very thing to the end of the age. So that's our great calling as a church. It is to be disciples and it is to make disciples. And if you're a note taker, feel free to take notes on there. Some of that's laid out for you. So a disciple is one committed to learning and following the way of Jesus. And I think the Great Commission is the best kind of, in a nutshell, if I had to distill it down, that's what it means to be a disciple. But even further than that, can you distill it even further? What does it mean to be a disciple? That sounds like a big task. I think it is a big task, and it's a really big task. And I think it's really, really important. I think it's really, really important because I think a lot of churches and a lot of places are really, really confused about what they're supposed to be doing. I think a lot of pastors are really, really confused about what they're supposed to be doing. They're not supposed to be um, entertaining people. They're not supposed to be filling a religious void in people's life. They're not supposed to be activists for good causes. All of those things are rampant in the church. They're not supposed to be CEOs and these, you know, heads of organizations and corporations. They're supposed to be disciple-making disciples in a church that is a bunch of disciples making disciples. Um, when I was, I was doing Bible college, distance learning, Moody Bible Institute, um, I was in ministry and, you know, doing Bible school and kind of learning. And it, it was in a spiritual uh, discipleship class, what that was. Um, there was this thing he showed us, and it was the simplest thing to me, but it was the most wonderful thing to me, and it, just, it was just the best thing I ever saw, and it's still the best thing I've ever seen, and it's entirely underwhelming when I describe it to you. It was just this cross, and it was not pretty. It looked like it had been drawn in the 40s, and it just had, um, it had the Word, and it had prayer on this angle of the wood, and it had, um, it had Christ-centered community and evangelism on this one. And I don't know why I just stared at it and I thought that is the most wonderful thing because that is the gospel. But through the cross of Christ, what has Jesus done? He's, he's renewed. He's brought back my relationship with God. But that's not the only thing the cross has fixed. It's fixed my relationship with people. And I, I think that was just such a wonderful way just to see the gospel and that reshaped and shapes just the way I think about my own Christian life, the way I think about what it means to follow Jesus, uh, what a healthy church is. is what if you, if, you, if you just had a bunch of people? I mean, what we're doing is we're knowing God again and we're knowing God as we know people. 
That was just the most wonderful thing to me. So, so you've heard me say those things in sermons, hopefully. It's not an accident. Um, hopefully it's just kind of in our DNA and it just kind of comes out of us. Because I think it's incredibly biblical. I don't think, I really don't think every church has a different mission. And they think they do. Like our, our church, we do this thing and this is our thing and this is our thing and this is our strategy. And you bring in these big, really expensive church consultants and they help you figure out your, and I've sat through this, like figure out your church's strategy and your church is this. And I think that Jesus already gave us a strategy. And I think it's the exact same strategy for every local church for all time and all places. And it's just to follow Jesus through knowing God and, and, and knowing God in our relationships with people. And I don't think it needs to be anything more than that. I think it's be- beautiful in its simplicity. I think it's beautiful in its simplicity. So I, I would like to just kind of go through those with you and just talk about um, what those things mean for us um, as a church. And the first thing I want to talk about is just prayer. If I was to say this is, this, is, this is what it means to follow Jesus and this is a capstone, this is a cornerstone of Jesus' life and it's a capstone cornerstone of Jesus' life, it must mean it should be a capstone and cornerstone of my life, doesn't it? And I think the beauty of being a follower of Jesus is this. He says, you can because of me now. You couldn't do it before. You can come into God's presence and you can know that what you ask of me, you will receive. So pray with a relentless faith and believe that God hears you and believe that God wants to hear you. Trust God's power and provision to bring to pass in your life the very kingdom of God. You know, we've been talking about Matthew. Remember in Luke 18, that woman and she can't get justice. She beats on the wicked judge's door. She can't get justice. And Jesus says he eventually gives in because he wants her to go away. But he says, how much more does your father know what you need? And is he ready to provide it? You know, prayer is wonderful because prayer is not about you and I getting what we want. We want it to be that, don't we? God, I want this to work out. I don't want any problems in my life. I want to make this much money. I want this. And Jesus says, here's prayer. Look at me in the garden. I'm getting ready to be crucified. And I say, Father, that's awful. I don't want it to happen. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. So the wonderful thing about prayer is it's not about getting stuff from God. It's about God shaping us and forming our desires to match his sons in the very things we say to God. The wonderful thing about prayer is it doesn't stop with just me. Prayer goes deep, but it goes wide. In prayer, I'm so mindful that the kingdom of God is not just about me, but God is wanting me to intercede on the behalf of others that they would make it home too. And and they're praying for me and I'm praying. God's like, I see all of my children. And I see that Jesus was so often renewed in prayer. You remember when Jesus, in the beginning of Mark's gospel, uh, he's out alone with the Father in the dark. And the disciples say, hey, Jesus, all the people are back. The crowds are back and they want to see you work your wonders. And they want to see you do your amazing things. Come on, Jesus. Wow, the crowds again. And Jesus says, no, we're going to the next town. He's like, I've come to preach the gospel. I've not come to do all this stuff and get all this fame. What if Christ hadn't prayed that morning? Of course, he's perfect, so he did. But it's simply to remind us in prayer, my spirit that so often gets bent and twisted What does prayer do in the spirit with the Father? It brings me back into alignment with who God is and who I am in Christ. So prayer can't be underemphasized. And, you know, I could riff off a bunch of depressing statistics about prayer. And that is the case. The church is prayerless today. We've replaced prayer with techniques. We've replaced prayer with technology. At the end of the day, friends, God's arm moves when His people prays. He wants us to pray. And I love the, just the thought of God in heaven and he's holding back a barn. It's got grain, you know, like those cartoons. There's so much grain, it starts to bend and it starts shooting. And God's like, are y'all going to ask me? Who's going to ask for this grain to come down? Like God wants it to flow down to us. We just don't ask. We need a greater faith in prayer. So I think that's a major part of following Christ. I think the next major part of following Christ um, is knowing God in his word. Um, Just to throw these up here for you again, if you want to fill in the blanks and keep them. We talk about this a lot. And again, I hope none of this like, oh, I've never heard of this before. Hopefully, like we've been weaving this, you know, into our hearts over time. But just to kind of look at it together. 
How important is the word of God? What does Paul say to Timothy? He says, know the word, because what does the word do? It trains you up for righteousness. When I know the word, which is not a book, but it's, it is the only window I have into who Christ is physically to read about Jesus. It says, hey, look at this part of your heart. You're not like Jesus here, you know. Let the spirit take that sword and cut deep and show those dark, ugly parts and train me up to be effective in the local church. Train me up to look like Jesus. Train me up to know God and to be like Jesus I'm called to be. I need the word to purify me. How often did Jesus uh, riff off the Bible, riff off the Old Testament? Why? Because the Old Testament, the scriptures were integral to his own ministry. So if the scriptures are integral to his own ministry and him being what he needed to be and do what he needed to do, how much more important is it for you not to know the word? He says in John 17 that they would know the truth. Your word is truth. And then secondly, how do we as a church even guard and protect what it means to be a Christian and to believe the gospel if we don't even know it so we can't protect it? Well, this person's saying this and this doctrine's coming in and it seems popular and people are flocking to that church and they're teaching and preaching, so it must, it must be fine. Because, you know, Satan did that same thing. It's not a new trick. You see, you see churches going in all kinds of doctrinal directions. You see them doing all kinds of weird things to get people to show up. And Satan said, hey, Jesus, you know, I'll give you the whole world if you, you know, worship me. And Jesus says, you worship the Lord your God. So, so what is the son of God's weapon to be guarded and kept from evil and darkness? What's the Bible? And if that's good enough for Jesus, should it not be good enough for us? How important is the word, friends? How important is the word? So the word and, the, and prayer, friends, that is the beauty of the gospel this way. It renews and purifies my relationship with God. It makes me like God as I was designed to be in Christ Jesus. So those are wonderful pillars in my heart and I think to build the church on. Um, but, and this is where I talk about this way, you know, it's not just that God has said, okay, you. He said, okay, y'all. He probably didn't use Southern vernacular. Well, okay. Y'all. Y'all in, in Huntsville, Alabama. Y'all counsel one another. Y'all correct one another. Y'all confess your sin to one another. Y'all bear one another's burdens. Y'all pray deeply for one another. Y'all encourage and edify one another. You know, y'all are all going to struggle in your different ways. And you know what the Spirit means to keep you Keep that vertical relationship. Keep you going to the end. It's other people. God never intended for any of us to say, well, yes, I've got my, my relationship with God or I've done business with God, you know, people say. But I, their relationship with the church is real. It's like this it's, or, it's, or it's non-existent. And I think a lot of times we, we ask these wicked questions in our hearts like, where does Paul say I've got to be a member of a church. And I think Paul would say back, why would you ask that question? How would you expect to counsel, correct, or confess sin, bear one another's burdens, be in prison together, die together, and it like you didn't just assume I meant you have to be like locked arms committed to one another? We don't do that with Netflix. Hey, I want your service, but I'm not going to agree to your terms and contracts. Like I don't want to do that. Guess what Netflix is going to say? Go away. Fine, we don't want you because here's our terms and agreements. We're willing to be so uh, rude as an understatement, irreverent to how God says, I have saved you. I've given you eternal life. Here is my means for you to be kept in the gospel. And it looks like dying to self, locking arms with other people, being a help to them and them helping you get home. It's God's means. So I cannot bear with someone that, yes, oh, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, but they're not knee deep in the mess of the local church. They're not knee deep in disciple. They're not knee deep in being discipled. It's just unbiblical. It's a non-biblical thing. And that puts its finger, doesn't it, on the most American individualistic nerve you have, doesn't it? 
It's something to die to. It's something to die to. But friends, we together are the body of Christ. We are the Spirit's means to be kept in the gospel. And you say, well, if, I'm, if Jesus saved me, then perseverance of the saints, I'm saved, right? Yeah, if you believe that, you're also going to obey the rest of it in context, and you're going to abide in the local church. So what a blessing, a responsibility, a wonderful privilege to be knee-deep in the local church. Um, and that's a lot of what I just want to talk to you about this morning is the great value of finding God with brothers and sisters in Christ in the only place it can be found in the context um, of, of the local church. Um, just the, the last one I want to um, talk about, and we talk about this, don't talk about enough, don't do it enough, need it more, but it's evangelism and mission. If you and I have such a great and wonderful thing in Christ, if you and I really have been satisfied in soul with Jesus, you know what it means. It means that we're just not going to be able to keep it quiet. Uh, yesterday at our, our, our uh, donut breakfast, David told about uh, when he was sitting on a porch years ago and some lady just drove up and got out of her car and said, I got saved today and got back in her car and drove away. That, that's, that's what, if you think God and, and, and being in the local church is so wonderful, you won't be able to keep it to yourself, you know? You tell people about the things that mean the most to you. And it's hard. And so I think, again, that's where none of these things are on their own. Like, here's prayer, here's the word, here's community, here's evangelism. No, we're a Christ-centered community rooted in the word, praying, loving one another. And then what? All that flows out into evangelism. Like, hey, world, look at how we love one another. Hey, world, hear about our Savior. And sometimes it's hard. I love that word pain line. It's from a book. And it's just this guy that says, you know, every time the Spirit says, hey, share the gospel, and you get that knot in your stomach, like, I don't want to. But you cross that pain line and you do it because you know that God wanted you to do it. And you can go back to your community and say, hey, I was in this pain line moment. And that's so encouraging, right, to share those stories of obedience. And we're just preaching the gospel to one another. Hey, I want the world to know about all this stuff because we don't want to keep the gospel to ourselves. I don't want to keep the local church. I don't want it to be us four no more. I want to see the church flourish God's way. But I want to see the church to flourish. So, so again, that, that for me, it's just like these, real, these four so important foundations of what it means to just follow Christ. If those things could be embodied in us, uh, that would be just amazing to see what the Spirit would do and just the simplicity of it and the beauty of just seeing Jesus as alive and see the Spirit work that out in the way He wants to work it out. And how does He want to work it out? Through the local church. Through the local church. You say, well, can, can I just like keep all that organic? Like, I see what you're saying. I see what Jesus is saying. But does it have to be like this official formal thing? Can we just be like disciples? No. Here's why we can't do that. Because Jesus didn't intend for that to happen. So people can do it. You can pit Jesus against Paul. It's like Jesus, the four gospels, and he's like organic, moving around Jerusalem with his disciples. It's very relational. But then Paul comes in with all of his doctrine, and there's all these rules and boundaries for the church. And here's stuffy Paul in the rest of the New Testament. And, but there's Jesus, and it's so organic. And it is a false dichotomy. Jesus' intentions with his 12 apostles was the birth of the church. What did Jesus say in the beginning of Acts? He said, you wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Wait, because you cannot be my people unless the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you. Jesus wanted the church to be born. He bled and died so that the church would be born. And when Peter gets up there and he preaches the gospel and it says thousands come to saving faith. But what does it tell us in the next chapter of Acts? It says they what? They regularly met together to eat, to share, take communion together. To what? Hear the apostles' teachings. So again, if we would say to Paul or to Peter or to Jesus, do we have to like, you know, have boundary lines and be organized? Can't we just be organic? I mean, I would, I would just take a bullet instead of hearing the word organic because it's so abused, you know, in Christian circles. I just want it to be organic. Can it be organic? And, and friends, if, if there was an era maybe in the last century 
where the church was too programmatic and it tried too hard to like, you know, make everything with its clearly defined how we, disciples are made and there's this ministry, this program, and blah, 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 blah. If that was unhealthy, okay, but here's the greatest lesson you can learn from church history. The church never corrects. The church always overcorrects. So instead of saying, hey, we're low on relationship and, and love, we're heavy on like program, so let's fly off the other side of the road and ditch organization altogether and be totally organic, right? You can't do that. You, you, there's, there's a middle there where we're in the middle of the road. So, you know, there is love and there is fellowship and it is real. It is organic. But Jesus also says, hey, this is what it looks like when you gather. Here's how you have ordered services. This is what church discipline looks like when one of you acts out and you sin. This is how the elders deal with it. This is how church, hey, here's how you pray. Here's what you pray for. Here's what it looks like to do mission in evangelism. It gives us very clear lines and rules for being an organized church, for being an organization, right? And I think the local church is just the greatest organization on the face of the earth because it's filled with the Holy Spirit. So we've got to be a church. We've got to be a local church, and we've got to love what it means to be uh, the local church together. So if I'm a church, that just simply means this. It, it means that I'm in a place where many disciples are committed to learning and following the way of Jesus. We're all together in this local place. We're all together in this geographical place saying, yeah, we are a Christ-centered community. We're word-saturated. We're prayer-dependent, and we're gospel-proclaiming, and we're doing it right here together because that's Jesus' chosen context for discipleship to flourish. And kind of in the same way, just beating a dead horse, what is a church member? Well, it's a disciple committed to that specific local church um, in a particular geographical cultural context. So at, at some measure, you can say, oh, this is dust stuff. It is dust stuff, but it's also stuff we don't really love and take serious the way that we should. So this discipleship, just want to switch gears and talk about well, what, what about the church? We're talking about the church. Just to answer a few questions for us, and I don't have fill-ins for this, but if you want to take notes on the back of your fill-in-the-blanks, you can. How did the church come to be? Has there always been a church? Has there always been a church? No. Um, we talk about the fall of man a lot. Um, I weave that into a lot of what I say in my sermons because I don't think we can ever really know and love the gospel if we're not talking about the fall of man and why the gospel is good news. But we go all the way back to the garden. We have a fall. Adam had everything. It was great. Adam and Eve, they're in paradise. God said, know me, right? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Know me, know one another in the context of my morality, my goodness, my purity. But Satan came along and he said what? Hey, let me invite you to do things your own way. Satan said, let me invite you to come up with your own truths. And the moment that Adam and Eve went for that, what happened but the ruin of man? And you know what's interesting, and I never, I never realized how merciful God was even in the garden, because God had said, the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. And they didn't die. I only realized that last year, how gracious, gracious, gracious God is, that Adam didn't die that day. But he said it, you know, he said, you will die. And they didn't die. What does God do instead of killing him? He says, I'm going to send my son Jesus, the seed, I'm going to kill him instead. How amazing is the gospel, even in the very beginning of Genesis, that God makes a promise to save us. But he does give the people the law. He says, hey, here's my law, and you can't keep it, because remember, you fell. And the law, the, the law of Moses is just constant reminder that we're still waiting on that seed to come. We're still waiting for that to come. And the law is a reminder. Things are not as they should be. But what happens is Jesus comes and Jesus bleeds and Jesus dies and, and Jesus, he, he raises up from the dead having dealt with our sins, right? And what did Jesus do? He creates a new people for himself, his own body. And that's the church. That's his bride. So the church, in, in, in I guess a biblical sense, was born in Acts when the spirit fell. But the church was in God's heart. Because before time again, the scriptures say it was in God's heart to send Christ to bleed and die for us. The church wasn't plan B. Friend, God loves you so much before time began, you were in His heart. And what a wonderful truth that He, he down the corridors of time, saw the pain and suffering of His Son for us. That's amazing, isn't it? 
And if that's so, wow, what a wonderful thing to be in a local church. It's like, well, just religion is a part of life and people, you know, choose their religions and this is the one I'm stuck. No, like you were in the heart of the eternal God and here we are, not out there, you know. Somebody's down the road right now eating pancakes at Sunny Street and they're just, they're just trying to enjoy their life and they don't even know. They don't even know. And if they don't hear the gospel, they're going to die and perish. Yet you are sitting here hearing the gospel, having believed the gospel. What an amazing thing to be called a church member. It's an amazing thing. So that's where the church came to be. Again, I want to reemphasize, what is the church? Was well, the church universal? And you could say that's every Christian ever, everyone who's ever believed in sight. Even in the Old Testament sense, uh, Jesus said, Abraham had faith, he saw my day, right? So in that sense, uh, the church is everyone who had faith in Christ, even Old Testament saints. And that's wonderful because we celebrate the gospel of Jesus. But this is back to where we have to understand Scripture in its context. God is not doing His work in the world today through the church universal. He's doing His work through the local church in geographical places, places in particular cultural contexts. Because guess what? That's where all the lost and dying people are. It's great for you to be a universal church member. Oh, I got my ticket to heaven. But friends, if we really have, we're going to say, no, I want to sign up to be a part of the local church because that's where I'm hearing the word. That's where I'm growing. That's where I'm worshiping. That's where I'm being encouraged. That's where God's using me. That's where we're seeing people baptized. That's where we're taking communion. That's where we're going on mission trips. That's where we're just praying for one another and just doing the Christian life together. So there, there is no universal church. That's such a cop-out. Um, maybe you've heard someone say, well, my religion is private. My religion is private. It's not the Christian religion, at least not if you've read the New Testament. It's not, right? So, so the local church um, is the only place where God, if we're reading the New Testament, that's the place from which He is effectively reaching the nations, right? In the local church. Um, next thing, and again, I hope, I hope this one is pretty, like, oh, we, we know, well, how do I be in one? You're saying the church is such an awesome place. How do I get inside that place? Well, here's how you get in there. Um, you receive the atonement. And we talked about the atonement a couple weeks ago. Jesus, once for all, spilled His blood to make you clean. The atonement was the, the necessary requirement from God's law for your sins to be dealt with. You, know, you go back to the Old Testament, and what did they do over and over again? Those animal sacrifices. Were they effective to take the sins of the people away? No. They were a temporary appeasement, and they pointed towards who? Jesus. Jesus' blood, and Jesus' blood would be enough. And we talked about this in our Bible study. Jesus' blood is even better than the Old Testament sacrificial system because it, it covers not just the sins that the sacrificial system would. It went outside of that to the curse. Committed adultery, you committed murder. The Old Testament sacrifice had no, had no provision for you. You are to die. But Paul says, Jesus became a curse for you. So in Christ, we are blessed because Christ has dealt with the sin problem. So what do I do with that? Well, Jesus says you repent. You turn from your sin. You turn from yourself. And you just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You wholeheartedly embrace Christ's atoning work. You were converted. You're this dead old nasty thing. And Jesus, He didn't renovate you. He didn't renovate you. You know, you can renovate a house. You can't renovate a sinful heart. Jesus rebirthed you. Jesus rebirthed you. He spoke life where it was not. Like, the, like Ezekiel's valley of dry bones. They're just dry bones. And He says, flesh get on those bones. A heart go on those bones. Blood and vessels. Be alive, valley of dry bones. That's what Jesus has done to us. That's, that's the grace that brings us into the fold of Christ together. And what's baptism? Well, baptism is that wonderful uh, outward ordinance where we say to not just the world, but to the church, hey, church, you're responsible for me now because inside I died and came back to life, so I'm one of you now. I'm in the club, and hey, world, I got baptized, which means identify with the church. In the same way in the Old Testament, 
right? You obey the law. You're circumcised. You live different from the rest of the world. You say, hey, I'm one of God's people. You know, I, I, I belong to Jehovah. I, I'm in that camp now. I'm, not, I'm different from the world. Your baptism says, I'm different from the world. I, I'm in the church as an outpost of heaven. I, I'm an ambassador for the kingdom, uh, a king of kings now. So that's how we get in there. But now that I'm in there, and, and again, we're back to just the thing that I think I want to most impress on us. Now that I'm in there, what do I do in there? What's it like? Well, it's like, it's like being an adopted son or daughter. That's what it's like. It's like roaming around the streets as a poor beggar, but a king brings you in to his royal family and he's not just done it for you. He's done it for all these other people. And now your beloved sons and daughters of God, you've been adopted into a family. You know the funny thing about family? Every family has its rules, doesn't it? Like if, if I sit at the dinner table and if Darcy... If she starts to eat her food before we pray, or if Dawson, he starts to eat before he prays, hey, what do we do in this family? We pray first, right? We have certain rules. Like, that's our family. We have those rules. It's the same thing, friends. If we've been brought into the family of God, like, okay, I'm in the family now, God. Like, what are your rules? I'm going to live by your rules. Teach and tell me. I want to know those. We so often don't treat the church that way. Um, there's a book I love. Um, it's by a pastor named Mark Dever. And he tells a story in his book of this girl who came to his church years ago. And they, they very much so wanted formal membership. They said, hey, if you want to be a member here, you need to you know, put your name on the line and, and commit to being a formal member. Commit to who we are, what we believe, how we function and operate. And she was disgusted by it. And so she left. But years later, that same girl came back and she said, now I understand. She said, all these other churches that you could easily be a part of, you can leave just the same. It may feel great at first, but the relationships and the commitment to the truth is awfully shallow. I see now why you wanted a commitment up front because you want the church to be real and deep for everybody. You want a common commitment to that, right? So, so often we don't, we, we want the church to feel like a country club. And it's the best analogy I think there is. Because what's a country club? It's really something that exists for you, right? What are your rooms like? What, what amenities do you have to offer? How big is your swimming pool? You know, do you all have a really good menu here? You know, do you keep the place up manicured well? But guess what happens in a country club? As soon as it doesn't please you in some way, you have every right in the world to pull your membership and go to the one down the road that does. And that is exactly how the local church is treated today. You don't have the right programs. You don't meet my needs. Oh, I was offended. So I'm leaving. I can't, I can't give you more time. You want me to serve? I can't, I can't do that. I'm a busy person. I've got a life. Be a country club for me. So you could call it comfort-based comfort-based versus commitment-based callings. Which one, is, which one sounds more like you? I'm going to read the differences. Comfort-based calling says, how can I be served? How can you customize my experience? Only speak into my life to the degree I allow. If I'm wronged, I'll walk away. We are a club. Commitment-based calling says, how can I serve you? How can I help edify our church? Let's fight for one another's holiness. If I'm wronged, I'll forgive and trust Christ to restore our relationship. We're a family. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's never a good reason to leave a local church. Sometimes there is. Bad theology, um, entirely just poor leadership. There's a number of things um, that happen that, hey, that's just a healthy thing for me and my family. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is 99% of the time, that's not the reason why people church hop. It's just not the case. And it's terribly unfortunate. And so I know I'm beating a dead horse here. Well, he won't die. And so I have to keep beating him because, because, <laughs> because I think you and I are constantly as consumers in 21st century America, like we need to be, we need to hear the gospel being a part of the local church is dying to me. It's dying to me. It's dying to me. It's dying to me. It's a wonderful privilege 
but it is a responsibility, I would say, to command on your life and on mine to be committed to a local church. Um, a couple more things. I don't want to overdo it here. I know it's a lot of information at once. Just talking about leadership in the local church um, and just my heart pastorally. Um, I think these are two of the best descriptions of a pastor. Uh, a pastor is not someone who gets to dominate. Like, I'm in charge and I'll tell you what to do, right? And so I'm the, I'm the, the grand poobah around here. That's not it. A pastor has a license to serve. My, my, my calling is to lead by example. It is, the, it is to preach and teach the gospel to you in its fullness. But it is to, by God's grace, and that is a daunting thing on me and on those who God calls me pastors, but to, with my life, teach and show the way of Jesus, right? To the end that you would teach and show Jesus to others in your life. So that's the great calling of a pastor. It is to point to Jesus with his words and with his life. Now, I think a lot of times, and again, this, this pushes on that 21st century American, hey, there are times when doing that um, in reverse, it's called pastoral discipline or you know, discipline, uh, church discipline, cases where that's to be acted. Why is that? Well, imagine a shepherd on the inside of his fold. And he's got all these sheep, and one of those sheep is sick, Right? So he can say, well, I, you know, I don't want to make that sheep uncomfortable. I don't want to hurt its feelings. I don't want him to be upset with me. So I'm just going to leave him alone. And what's going to happen? All the other sheep are going to get sick because I didn't deal with the problem, right? In the same way, a good shepherd, sometimes on the outside of that flock, doing this, he's got his staff. He's not letting wolves in. He's not letting people in sheep's clothing come in. He, he is on the inside and the out guarding and keeping. So even the function of church discipline, which I think is a non-category in a lot of churches, the function of church discipline is a loving reflex of a pastor who doesn't want to see his people's holiness polluted. So you should love church discipline so much so when you have a brother or sister come to you attempting to obey the scriptures to say, hey, um, man, we need to talk about fill in the blank. You don't go, how dare they do that to me? Because blah, 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 blah. You go, wow, you, you care about my holiness and you care about not just my holiness, but you care about the holiness of Jesus' bride because you were willing to address that issue in me. Thank you. Right? So we should, those shouldn't be like church discipline. How could he have said those words? I mean, who's willing to do that? We should all be willing to do church discipline, okay? It's part of God's plan for keeping us whole. It's correcting one another. You need a whack to the shin every once in a while. I need one, you know, not, li not literally, um, but you know, in, in the soul. So just kind of to touch on that. Um, so just at Providence, where, how are we doing that? And again, just to re recap here, I'm following, we're following Jesus. Nobody's allowed to do that together. We're a Christ-centered community. It's word-saturated, prayer-dependent, gospel-proclaiming. Where's that happening? Context of a local church, okay? How are we doing that in the local church? What we do it on Sundays when we gather, and when we gather to worship God through the songs that are prepared and the scriptures that are prepared and the prayers that are prepared, that's turning our heart towards Christ in so many ways. In so many ways. We pray for the nations. It's evangelistic. We pray for one another's sin. Well, that's Christ-centered community. We pray we would know God more. Well, that's the Word, and that's prayer. So we're growing in our worship. We're growing when supernaturally the Spirit takes the Word of God in a sermon, and He convicts you. And sometimes I think even in ways you can't see, He's just shaping you into the image of Christ and impressing Jesus on your soul. And the Hebrew writer says, don't, don't stop doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Um, a variety of discipleship meetings. You know, I know 2020 was a weird one, you know, but hey, we did the best we could. We met virtually and we encouraged one another uh, on Wednesday nights in prayer and, and just the word. And that's good. And I don't, these are very general because I want to be general because they're like, here's our thing. We do this thing and everybody's got to get in this thing. You know, maybe Richard, you know, after service is going to walk up to 
Lawton and say, hey, you want to start meeting on Tuesday mornings at 7.30? And God's going to use that six-month relationship to grow them in incredible ways. So the Spirit, you know, just works in all kinds of ways when we do that. You know, so we will have, hey, formally we have this Bible study available. But you, listen to the Spirit and disciple one another. I can't disciple everybody. If I wanted to and tried, I would do it poorly. You know, so we've got to be getting ourselves you know, a good illustration would be a trellis, you know, that like a vine grows on. Got this trellis and there's these vines and they just go wild, man. They're just going all over that thing. That's when you get a heart for discipleship and it's not watching me do all the ministry. I mean, I'm doing a lot of it that I'm told to do, but you're doing it, you know, with one another and in the world. So just ways that we disciple one another and we hopefully will offer more classes. I know like how to study the Bible classes. I'd like to do some theology classes and some different things like that in the future. Fellowship events. Ladies, you ate desserts and the, the guys ate donuts. And guess what that is? Really important. It's really important just to sit down and just make jokes and look at one another and eat some donuts. Those Donut Palace donuts are so good. Man. Eat some Donut Palace donuts and just pray and just hear an encouraging word. Chris shared such a good word for us yesterday. That grows you. That keeps you. Amen. It's, it's, it's a work of the Lord. Um, mission, um, you know, I've been talking about let's pray. Let's pray about what God could do. Just this past week, I had a conversation with um, a missionary in Mexico. Actually, Dalton's uh, uncle runs an orphanage compound. He does all kinds of really cool ministry um, in Mexico, just among very impoverished people. So I talked to him about doing a mission trip um, later this year, and I think it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for us as a church. I would love to take a few people down there and do that. So just finding ways and places where the Spirit leads us locally around the world um, to just share the gospel and just to be a light and just help missionaries in what ways we can. And then lastly, children's discipleship. Um, we, we just recently got our nursery back going, and we're so grateful for the sacrifice of those ladies to, hey, yeah, I will, I will watch some babies and some kids every once in a while. Um, but children, um, and hopefully we talk about that a lot. I think we do, just the value of the home and mom and dad. You know, I, I wish I could glue a mirror on a bulletin or something on one sermon you know, and say, I would like to introduce to you this church's youth pastor and then tell you to look at the mirror like mom and dad, like, hey, you're the youth pastor. Congratulations. Or the children's pastor. Because I think there's a lot of things we, we kind of sell off, like, here, you do this stuff. And the Bible's like, no, you do this stuff in your own house. You know, so I want to be a church where we, we do equip parents to be the children's pastor and the youth pastor in their own home. Um, and just growing in that more and more and more. I think that's so important. Um, I think the, the home is broken today. The home is, the home is a mess. Um, and, and I think it's because Christ is not the center of it anymore. So, so we're not shooting 10 for 10 on anything, uh, but by God's grace, He's going to get us there. and He's going to grow us more, right? And, and that's the thing. It's not about our perfections. It's about the power of the gospel working in us and through us. So, that, that is the best I can in one sitting, I think, just kind of put my heart on the table about the way that I think about the local church, um, about what I want to see happen um, at Providence, and, and just what I really want um, to partner with you in and being a local church um, together. Um, just to hit on doctrines for a second, and you know, I left my, I left my copy somewhere else, didn't I? Um, well, it's okay. I want to just talk about the doctrines for a second. Um, you know, when Chase and I were just talking about what, what doctrinal statement are we going to use, and I think someone could say, just to address this for a second, um, what, why does the church have to have a doctrinal statement in the same way someone could say, why do I have to formally commit, right? Here's why in the year 2021, there are a thousand different versions of Jesus. Okay? So you saying you're a Christian, me saying I'm a Christian can mean two very, very different things. Two very different things. So there's a lot of prudence and wisdom in having a doctrinal statement in the same way there's wisdom in having church membership say, here's the shape of our door. Make sure you fit this mold before you come on through because it's going to be a lot of heartache for you and us if we don't you match up doctrinally or methodologically. 
Um, so what we, we ended up landing on, it's called the, it's the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. It was written in 1833, revised in 1853. It was a Baptistic doctrine in kind of Northeast um, United States of that time. Um, it is very much so a middle of the road, just evangelical conservative doctrine, uh, doctrinal statement. Um, so I, I'm not going to go up here because that would be a whole other thing to work through every doctrine. I would encourage you to do it if you would like. You can go on our website and it's there. Um, but just to hit on what some of those main ones, and again, I don't have my thing, so I'm not going to read it. and I'm pressing it anyways. Um, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, if you ever meet a a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, and they can talk the same smack as you about Jesus for a while. But if you press into who Jesus really is, you discover, oh, you don't believe Jesus is God. Oh, you don't believe in the Trinity. Oh, you don't believe that there's three persons in one being. The Trinity is the crux of the Christian faith. Because friends, if Jesus loses his Godhood, we lose our Savior. So Jesus must also be the only way. He's not a way. He is the way through repentance and faith. Um, that is a must. Um, something else I think I would want to say is we believe in a physical return of Christ. Jesus is going to come back for His people someday. And we are looking for that. We're waiting for that. And it's why we are fighting so hard to be faithful disciples in the local church uh, now. Um, those are just some of those main points. Again, read it. The last thing I'm going to say, and I just feel compelled to say it because we live in the 21st century and everything that's going on it seems daily uh, we will always hold to a traditional view of marriage. Uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. Sexual relationship is between a man and a woman in the context of a marriage. And that is God's final and only word on that. And we must, we must stand there. And I think that is a gospel issue. That is a gospel issue. It's not, it's not a peripheral issue at all. So if you, if you feel the need to read that... Um, Please do um, do it. It's it's not that long, you know. If you would like to read it, so kind of with all that in mind, um, I need a copy of one of those things. Can I borrow your Sierra? Thank you so much. All of that in mind, if you just look at that last page I gave you there, um, membership application form. Okay. Yes, it looks formal. It feels formal because it's formal. I think Jesus deserves that. Um, here's, what, here's what I'm asking of you to do. Um, I'm asking you to formally become a member. And if you've been here since the beginning, this is just kind of a, man, this is a reaffirmation for you. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Um, this is great. Uh, I'm glad that this is who we are and I needed this refresher course. If you've been here any time since, hopefully this provides you great clarity on that. And now you can say, I know what this church is about and yes, I'm ready to commit to that. But let me just read through just some of those. What are requirements for membership? This is straight of our, out of our Constitution, which we have. And if you want a full copy of the Constitution, go crazy and read that Constitution after church today. I got copies of it for you as well. But this is just from the membership requirements form page. Profession of faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, come talk to me. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to me. Um, affirmation of purpose, statement, and core values. So that's following Jesus together. How are we doing that? We're a Christ-centered community. It's word-saturated, prayer-dependent, gospel-proclaiming. Affirmation of church doctrinal statement. That's the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. Submission to and alignment with church government. So again, if you want to read the Constitution, but that just speaks into my role as a pastor, Chase's role as an elder, um, boundaries for what we can and can't do in relationship to voting privileges you have as a member. So again, if you need to read that, please read that. Um, and a hearty commitment to expectations of membership. Um, the, these are things that I'm not going to say are requirements because it, at some point this piece of paper can only take it so far. Either you have the Holy Spirit or you don't, okay? And I can't... I can't like dragging a cinder block through saying like, it's going to wear me out, all right, and it's not going to help anything. At some point, you're going to have to desire this. So I would hope that the expectations of membership, you see them as a desire. Prioritize our Sunday morning worship gatherings. Okay, I think that's so important for a local church. Um, the second one is very important. Model New Testament financial generosity towards the church. 
Okay, so let me just talk about that for a minute. When we started back in October, um, man, it was the Mullins, the Brannings, and Mark and Lane, and us, and the Chuns, and the Comos. And I'm thinking, what have I done here? <laughs> if I got to be honest. Um, um, and I, I, don't, I don't really know how to account for it other than grace. Money would fall out of the sky. God would do amazing things. I remember sitting in my office like, God, what are we going to do? And Mackenzie, you may remember, this was the old building. She's like, hey, this came in the mail. And I opened it, and it was like a check for like $900 or something. And it was like, that's what we need. You know, like, so just so many like amazing things. And, and, and we have over the last two years, even through COVID, we're like right, we're like right there. Like we're so close to like operating in the black. Um, we, we need a couple, like two, three tithing families to just like put us across the finish line. And when that happens, I will do backflips. I will come up here on Sundays and do backflips. And we will just have a full-blown worship service to the Lord. And I know we're going to get there. I know we're going to get there. Because um, I believe that just as the Lord has been faithful to bring tithing families along, He's going to keep bringing along people that say, yes, I, I see Providence Fellowship, I see the work of God there, I see it deserves my dollars, and that's where God wants me to put my dollars, is, is right there. So I would say to you, if you are tithing, thank you from the ball of my heart. It's so encouraging that you've taken care of my family, taken care of our needs. Um, I would say to you, if you're not tithing and giving here, um, please start obeying the New Testament and give to the local church. Um, I think it is, it is very incumbent upon every member of every local church to say, yes, I'm going to put my dollars here because I want to see it flourish. Um, and again, I, just, just for a second, to address the wicked questions of where does it say in the New Testament that I have to give 10%? You know, people, well, okay, 10% was like a bare minimum in the Old Testament. Let's start there, okay? So there's that. But when we come to the New Testament, no, you won't say it's, it's say um, give 10% to the local church. You'll see it say in Corinthians that they gave out of their extreme poverty to the needs of the church. In other words, they took the 10% thing and multiplied it times 10. They gave and they gave and they shared everything in common. So if, if you want to go like tit for tat with the New Testament, you will find people incredibly sacrificial and generous in, in their giving to the local church. Okay, and then secondly, I would just say if you if you would say, and again, this is Paul. And it's weird for me to say because I'm the pastor, but Paul says, "Don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain." In other words, take care of the people uh, physically he provided for you spiritually, right? And again, I had to make a decision in my heart a long time ago when I came here. Uh, you actually do not meet my needs. Okay, God meets my needs. Now I think how he would like to meet my needs is through you, right? Because I think that's just biblical. So this isn't me up here trying to count more dollars, and I don't think any of you are thinking bad thoughts about me, but I'm just saying um, for me to continue on as a pastor, for us to have money to do ministry, to, to grow, um, if you look around you, we are getting tighter and tighter in this room all the time. Um, our lease is coming up in July pretty soon, and so we're just starting to talk and pray about uh, Lord, I don't think this place is going to work soon, you know. So again, when we financially give, when we obey the scriptures, God says, "Okay, let me let me let me open up the blessing a little bit more here for what you are able to do and how I want to use you." So, I would just encourage you: um, call Providence your home, put your dollars here, and and see what God will do uh, with us, and He's faithful to do that. Okay. Um, Next thing is just committed to disciple-making relationships. And again, I'm not talking about anything too in-depth this morning, but just the value of life-on-life discipleship, the value of meeting for Bible studies. When we have that, I think that stuff's critical. It's important like Sunday. So we just want to be a church where I will use it, where we do organic discipleship in that way where you are on your own, just making disciples of one another and just a commitment to serve. Um, thank you again. I, my wife and Rebecca are back there so that we could all be up here this morning. Um, but thank you for those of you that serve in our children's ministry now. It's so exciting. Some of you come up here now and you clean the toilets and you sweep. And we have this really great team of, of cleaning folks. And Chris is doing our finances. And we just have servants and servants. And so that's so encouraging to my heart. So um, again, 
find a place to serve. Um, and if you're saying, all right, I'm ready to, yeah, I'm, this is the church I'm supposed to be. Let's find a place for you to serve and to just further um, invest in, in the local church. Okay, so there's that. Um, you, you are here and you say, well, I like, yeah, Chad, you know, that's me. I'll put my signature on this thing. And that's great. Great. If you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, but I've got a couple questions. Let's talk. All right. I'm not expecting like there. I said it and I'll deal with it. So let's talk. If you have questions about the doctrinal statement, you got questions about anything, but don't not say nothing because I want you to find a local church you can force. Here it is painful for me to say this, but I'll say it. If you cannot become a member of Providence Fellowship, I want you to find the church where you can find the church to be a member of because God's intention for you to flourish is in the local church. Amen. If it's not Providence, again, I hate to say that because I don't want to lose anybody. I would rather the kingdom flourish by you finding that local church. So let's help you find it if it's not Providence, right? So again, hopefully that's none of you. Um, but again, I want to say that so there is that. Again, um, if you want to sign that today, man, sign that. Praise God. If you have some questions, please come talk to me. Um, but I love you so much. I've said before, but I wouldn't trade Providence for a 10,000-member church with a giant salary, blah de blah blah I want to be right here with you doing, doing God's work. And um, I, I just, we say, man, we love our church. We say that to each other all the time. Like, man, I'm so grateful for Providence. Man, I love, man, I love Man, I love David and Patty. You know, man, Sprayberry's always there. Chris is always there. Oh, this person's always doing that. Oh, you know, they're so encouraging. We just love our church. We have a, I think we just really have a wonderful, special church here. And uh, I, I really am excited for the future um, uh, for what God's going to do for His glory through us.